At, you know, being here with you today uh, uh, is really incredibly important. Now, we talk about people who pay in to Social Security, and we talk about these workers and what they've done. I'm on, the, I'm on both sides of that. I'm a Chevrolet, Cadillac, Hyundai, Kia, and Toyota dealer that signs paychecks twice a month for over 200 people. That 6.2 match from not only the person that is working with you, but also the person that owns that entity, that 12.4% going into the ceiling of 128,400, I think that's where it is now, Johnny, right? It's just risen to that point. That's the life of it. So when people talk to us about, geez, what are you guys going to do about Social Security? My question to them is, you know where the source of all the funding is. And they said, yeah, the government. I said, no, 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 no. The government has nothing to do with, the, with where the money comes from. It is businesses that pay that tax, whether they're profitable or not. We pay corporate taxes only when we're profitable. We pay real estate taxes all the time. We pay wage taxes all the time. That's part of our business model. So when people don't understand where the revenue comes from, it's really important to say, look, I don't care how you look at it. Go to the source. The source is not the federal government. The, the government collects it and then distributes it and develops policy on it. But the real funding of Social Security, and you guys know this, you women know this, it is the business community. And I get to do it for 200 people, and I get to do it for myself twice. So putting the 6.2 match in for all our associates that help to get us through tough times, and then also for myself. So it, it's really good to be with you. Now, you know, Phil talked about John and I's relationship. We have a wonderful relationship, and I mean that sincerely. One thing we know is that Social Security, because of the dynamics of it, at some point, doesn't have enough funds going in to look at the projection. Uh, I'll just share one story with you. Please don't take this the wrong way. Uh, my son was a West Point cadet. My dad is a World War II Air Force veteran, flew B-17s and B-29s, and my dad loved to go up to West Point to visit my son. And one time we said, you know what, let's just go up, spend some time with him, take him out to dinner, because you know cadet's life is pretty tough. We'll take him out to dinner. And my son was really happy that we came up. And my dad would sit beside me as we would ride up. It's about a six and a half hour ride up to Hudson Valley, go up and see him. So we picked my son up. And as we're traveling to this restaurant, my dad's sitting in the front, smoking his pipe at 85 years old and just enjoying the fact that he's with his grandson. He's so proud that he's a member of the US military because that's what everybody in my family had done. And they're talking. And my son then switches to a subject that he probably shouldn't have switched to. It was Social Security. <laughs> and he goes, Grandpa, you know, this Social Security is really, is really under a heavy load right now. My dad says, yeah, I, I know it's tough. It's really tough. But you know, so many people depend on it. He said, but you know, Grandpa, the real problem is guys like you are living too long. <laughs> An Irish Catholic, 85-year-old, who started as a parts picker, in a Chevrolet warehouse in Pittsburgh, married the telephone operator at that same place, left to go fight in World War II, came back, was a roadman for, for Chevrolet, selling parts to dealers out of his trunk and raising five kids at the same time, turned to him and said very clearly, why, you ungrateful little son of a bitch. <laughs> he said, I busted my rear end my whole life. And that money is the money that I put in, not just for me, but for everybody else that work with us to have mutual success. 
I don't know who the hell's filling your head with this stuff, but you better understand something. And at that point, I tried to intervene. I said, listen, you know, we're going to a really nice place to eat. <laughs> but that's where the problem lies. My son wasn't wrong, but he sure as heck wasn't right. And my dad was really very demonstrative about how he felt about it. And so I think what John is attempting to do, he's got an, an idea, but look, we're all looking at the same problems, aren't we? It's the dynamics of it. How do you change the dynamics of that program? So uh, John's got a program he can, he can explain to you. I think it has a lot of merit. My good friend, Tom Reed, and, and John, John is the chairman of the subcommittee on, on uh, Social Security, and Tommy is the ranking member, but they, have, they are working on this diligently, and I want anybody that, that's out there that's listening, I talk to people when I go back home, if you don't think we understand what you're going through, then please turn off the TV and actually start talking to the member themselves. Because we are deeply concerned about it and deeply involved in trying to make sure that it is sustainable because it's so important. It's so important. So whether it's Retirement Enhancement Savings Act or, or whether it's the SECURE Act, this is a really serious problem that disrupts, especially older people, their sleep. Because when you have a source that you don't know is going to be there for you or going forward may not be there for you, that is something that keeps you up at night. So. My good buddy, John Larson, okay. Other than the Patriots uh, and the Steelers, we agree on everything. <laughs> Johnny. Oh, Pats. Thank you, man. Well, listen, uh, before I came in, uh, you all know the illustrious Billy Long, right? So uh, he heard I was speaking here this morning, and I had lent them some money. 45 bucks to be exact. He said, before you, uh, he said, but before I came in here, he said, I want to... Returned a favor, he handed me this $45 bill and said, I think we're square with that. So, uh, but, uh, let me also acknowledge and thank Jim Councilman. What an extraordinary human being. His time served on the Hill is legendary, but what he does to network and bring people together, his attention to detail, I know Terry deserves most of the credit, but uh, nonetheless, uh, I can't think of a more compassionate, more considerate, more empathetic person and someone who gets it and understands what legislators like us go through. And what a great choice with Bart Gordon to be the VP of the organization as well. Uh, so. Uh, I want to commend you. And plus the overall thematic manner in which we strive to have bipartisan cooperation, I think is enviable. My colleague is far too modest. When you get a bill that passes the Ways and Means Committee and it passes unanimously, uh, that's testimony to Mike and to Ronnie Kind, who was the co-sponsor, but so many who have listened to them in terms of recent understanding that that's the first step in a number of things that we have to do with regard to retirement security. Richie Neal and Kevin Brady are working earnestly as well on other pieces of legislation, including uh, Mr. Neal has an automatic enrollment bill out there for 401ks. There's no question, as Jim said from the beginning, uh, when you consider uh, people and their ability to save for their future, how difficult it is. And that problem is only compounded for millennials. And it's why we've thought, sought with our piece of legislation to bring boomers 
and millennials together because there's got to be an understanding of what happens at both ends of that spectrum, both in terms of people who are currently receiving Social Security or will shortly, and those that will receive it at some point in their lives. And uh, we're really uh, proud to uh, introduce this bill. Uh, we haven't, we've got uh, many, you mentioned Tom Reed, there's no better co-chair that a person could have than Tom Reed. Both Tom Reed and Tom Price have spoke in the committee and subcommittee hearings about their mothers. They are both products of Social Security. One in five recipients of Social Security is not of retirement age. They're dependents, they receive disability. This is the government's number one insurance program and it's most effective being in from the insurance industry a 99% loss ratio no matter how you slice it is damn good but it's also the greatest anti-poverty program that we have in fact Dwight David Eisenhower contrary to popular belief most he doesn't get the credit there's a recent autobiography out about him by Jackson who talks about how he expanded Social Security because he knew what that GI was going to go through when he came back after the Second World War and they spawned uh, the baby boomer generation. I don't think it'll come as a surprise to anyone here that 10,000 baby boomers a day, 10,000 a day, become eligible for Social Security. So what to do? Uh, the last time that we fixed Social Security in any significant manner was 1983. Who was president? Oh, Ronald Reagan. Everybody on the Democratic side remember that Tip O'Neill was the speaker, but very few people will recall that Howard Baker was the Senate Majority Leader. And so Republicans controlling two branches of the government in terms of one half of the bicameral Congress and the presidency spawned together with Democrats to make Social Security, it was supposed to be by law solvent, what actuaries say sustainably solvent for 75 years. Uh, they didn't succeed at that, but what they did succeed at is enhancing the program and moving the ball forward and it's legendary in terms of its results. Every Congress at some point has to step up and take responsibility. As Mike said, this is the people's program. It is funded by business and the people. It's also probably one of the largest investments that employers are going to make with a direct return and something that as a taxpayer on both sides of the ledger, when do you have a tax that you pay in where you get a disability payment, where you have spousal and dependent children protection, and a guarantee in retirement? Thank God for that. Consider for a moment, and it's why it's called the greatest anti-poverty program, there are already close to 5 million Americans who have paid their quarters in and yet live in poverty on Social Security, and most of them women. And so, and that in large part because they were caregivers. They brought up their children, and also when they were in the workforce, they were earning about 80 cents to every dollar their male counterparts were. 
So we need to correct that course and both make Social Security sustainably solvent, put every American back on equal footing, do so in a sustainably solvent manner for the next seven years while enhancing the program. Make sure that we're no longer taxing people while they're working. You're retired, you work out of necessity, or you work because you want to see, stay involved and committed. Currently, because we didn't index that back in 1983, if you're single and making more than 24,000, you're taxed. More than 32,000 if you're a married couple and you're taxed. Too many people retiring into poverty. Let's create the new floor for Social Security to be 125% of poverty. Let's also make sure that we have a COLA that reflects people's actual expenses that they incur. And let's also make that sure that we're combining the various elements, both the disability side and the old age and retirement side, so that it works and it's sufficiently solvent. And all of that has to be paid for. Always the most difficult part. But nonetheless, if we did what they did back in 83, if we created a system where we would incrementally phase this in in bite sizes that are digestible and will also allow us to expand the program, we can do this. That's where my Starbucks, where's that Starbucks? It's right there. <laughs> every town hall I go to, every time I have a town hall meeting, I carry a Starbucks and the actuary report. We're the only bill out there that has, is sustainably <laughs> solvent and enhances Social Security and does so uh, with an actuarial report that says every benefit that they're calling for is paid for. So that's when I hold up the Starbucks with seniors and I say, how much is this? And they'll go, well, uh, is it a latte? And I'll go, yes, it is. <laughs> they say, that's $4.50. I said, yes, that's right. Or if you're making $50,000 a year, that's nine weeks of Social Security payments in order to make the system sustainably solvent and add those enhancements. 50 cents a week because of the way that we phase this program in. We also scrap the cap, which is a common thing that you hear, but we do so on incomes over 400,000. Now at 400,000, the way that we phase this in, uh, you, would owe, you would be paying $4 a week. Well, it still costs more to buy this latte than it would to fix Social Security. And I think this is the way that we have to talk about this with respect to uh, the general public because they understand FICA. Mike will tell you this. Federal insurance contribution. Whose? Yours. And as Mike pointed out, both the employer who can write it off and the taxpayer who receives direct benefits from this. So this is screaming out for the same kind of bipartisan solutions that Dwight David Eisenhower and Ronald Reagan put together. And Ron, in Ronald Reagan's case, he was opposed initially, ideologically, to Social Security. But he was won over by the business community because of the practicality of what it was doing. Since 2008, 90% of all Americans still have not recovered in terms of wealth and assets from the Great Recession. Can you imagine taking the only guarantee that they have, the program that's never missed a payment, 
one that has a 99% loss ratio, we ought to point with pride in government, with the efforts done both in the private sector, as to why this program makes sense and combine the needs and concerns of millennials and baby boomers and make sure that that guarantee, I went to insurance school, three legs on a stool. We gotta make sure that we have private savings, pensions, and we need social security. Of the three, that's the only guarantee. You could outlive an annuity. You cannot outlive social security. Why? It's the full faith and credit of the United States government. Thank you very much and look forward to your questions. I'm taking back Billy Long's $45 bill too. Bill, you did such a great job, you get the first question. Timing on next steps on the legislation. That's a, that's a question from the majority. <laughs> well, uh, here is the thing. Sam Johnson was the chairman, uh, and I have such reverence and respect for Sam Johnson and the extraordinary sacrifice he made for this great country of ours. He was the chairman two years ago. We introduced this bill eight years ago almost. This is the first time we've had public hearings. Why? Listen, I may have been born at night, but not last night. Uh, people, you know, there's an aversion to taxing. And I, it's funny, I had this conversation with Billy Schuster, who I had to my district seven times. Seven times he was there talking about the infrastructure and what we need to do, but when push came to shove, you gotta pay for it. Or you just kick the can down the road and create more debt for the country. So Sam very much wanted to have hearings, but there were no hearings on this. And I think that the more that we educate, right now Heidi Heidkamp and uh, Mr. Cohn are uh, at the uh, Kennedy School, and they have a group of students who came up with an idea, they solved Social Security, so they think, in 28 hours. They put together a thing, and we're meeting with them at about 45 minutes or so. Point being this, we've had hearings now. We have the feedback. When you hear people's personal stories, when you hear Tom Reed's story about his mother, and Tom Price's story, about Richie Neal lost both his mother and father, and was raised by a grandmother and an aunt. And the only reason he was able to get to college and get through school was because of Social Security. And when you look at people in their retirement ages and how little they have, it's also probably our biggest economic stimulator. There's approximately about 100,000 people in everyone's district who receive Social Security payments. Go ask your local chamber of commerce. Take a look at the numbers and what this means. Nobody's hoarding Social Security checks. The money goes right back into the economy. And think about that, even in 2008, when a lot of people had no money or lost a lot of things, no Social Security recipient missed their payment, which serves as a buffer to make sure during difficult times that we're able to take care of the least amongst us. And they all take great pride, and that's why in our bill we say, you have to make a payment. 
This is, the this is an insurance plan that you are making an investment in alongside of your employer. So we expect, we've had four hearings, we expect to have a couple of more hearings and other briefings, and then we think before uh, the summer recess we'll have it on the floor. There's been some discussion, uh, uh, I think primarily on the Senate side, uh, about letting people uh, access retirement uh, funds for childcare. So a noble value there, but does it have merit, or is it just kind of making the problem worse, uh, robbing Peter to pay Paul? Uh, I would say, listen, let's talk about the millennials for a second, because this is, in my office, I called the staff in the other day, and we have a young man in our office who said, hey boss, uh, here's my problem. He says, my wife and I both work, but we can hardly, between our mortgage payments and our childcare payments, make ends meet. So we've got, government has got to understand that, but by the same token, to your point, if you rob Peter to pay Paul, you take out of one fund, the Social Security fund in and of itself, will, there'll be an across the board cut of 20% in 2035, if we continue to do nothing and kick the can down the road. And uh, this group from Harvard today, I have them talking to the Paralyzed Veterans of America and Social Security Works, et cetera, because you have to look people in the eye and understand what 7% cut will mean. When you have five million women living in poverty already, or for those millennials, if they take the money out of their fund, how does that leave them at a time when people already aren't saving enough, and those millennials are even under a greater crunch between college loan debt and also having to try to afford the American dream, own a house. So that's, I think, the important thing. So we don't wanna, I would say, we don't wanna rob from Peter to pay Paul. I think that you've framed it the right way. Wait, but, but as we go forward, I think one of the things that uh, gets lost in the wash here is, uh, where does the revenue come from? And so because of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, we have a lot more people participating in the labor workforce today. So I, I hear what we need to do, but then the question does comes up is how do you fund it? The only way I know of funding it right now is through wage taxes. I don't know anything else. That and, and some of the, the uh, interest we get on the, on the bonds that the money was pulled out of Social Security for some other program with the guarantee that we put back in. And I have no no doubt that it's going to be put back in. But when we look at the, the, the dynamics of it, and you've got to ask yourself, so why do we have so many people in poverty? How in the world, in the United States of America, with all the assets we have, could we have people living in poverty? Uh, the answer to most people when you talk about how do you get out of poverty, it's a good education to get you ready for the job that's available today. So when you talk about the, that stool, those three-legged stool, and you say, well, part of it is personal savings, and when you look at how dramatic it is that there's the majority of Americans don't have access to $1,000 in cash. I think it's over 60% of Americans don't have that in their savings. So if you want to look at that stool, you can look at Social Security, but what about that other part? What about that part of our personal savings? Now, I just thought, I sat in a school board for four years. One of the things I thought we should have instituted in, in, uh, in our curriculum because I grew up with parents that said, it doesn't matter how much you make, it's how much you save. And you better be putting money away. The first commitment my parents had 
was to their family. The second commitment was to their church. I can't remember any Sunday that we didn't have an envelope that my dad made sure was in there. And some of you, if you're Catholic, remember when they used to print these things so you could see what the other parishioners had con contributed? <laughs> that was the most effective way of getting 100% participation. Because <laughs> I remember going home from church, my dad would get to get that bullet and I'd see what your Uncle Ed put in. <laughs> Just because we're going to beat him. That $20 is ridiculous. My Uncle Ed was a new car manager. My dad was a dealer. He said, I pay Ed enough money. He can put more than $20 in at the church. So what it comes down to is so who, who actually makes this solvent? Working people. And when we have a vibrant and dynamic economy where we have people working and their wages are rising, and now the ceiling right now is 128400 That's how much, once you reach that point, don't you have to put any money in afterwards. We've talked about raising the ceiling. We've talked about beneficiaries. Is it means-tested? Does everybody need to have, have that same, same amount of money? There's a lot of different ways looking at it, but it really comes down, these are wonderful programs. These are wonderful programs. Now I went to the University of Notre Dame, and I was, I was a sociology major, and my dad would wait up for me to come home because I'd drive back and forth to South Bend, and we would sit up and we would talk, and I would tell him about all these wonderful things that we should be doing as a people. And there's nobody more giving than Catholics. They always, you know, you can't go to a Notre Dame football game that's not taking up a second and third collection. <laughs> and my dad would sit there and he said, you know what, you, son, I am so proud of you. You are learning so much about our commitment to each other and, and taking care of our fellow man. He says, I just can't wait for the time when you start taking it out of your wallet. <laughs> So we can talk about all this funding, and I agree, we have to improve these programs. But you know what? It's great to say we need, we need to do this, we need to do this, we need to do this. And then the question comes, who's picking up the tab? Because this is really a cash bar. And so I just want to keep, make sure we keep that in focus. John has some ideas about bringing it up. Is this a promotion for the guy from Starbucks that's running for president? <laughs> but anyways, no, seriously. It's a crowded field on our side. <laughs> It, it is, it is. So I, I, I just think that the reality of it all comes down to, if it really is, that, that stool when it's three-legged, there's more than just Social Security, and there's nothing that gets people out of poverty faster than a good job. And when we create an environment where we have to go out and find people that there's, I don't know how many million open jobs right now we can't fill. And then the question is, why can't we fill them? And some of it is, they're not ready to go into that job. Right? The vocational uh, industries especially, you know where I'm from, Pennsylvania, it's Marcellus Gas. They can't find heavy-duty equipment operators. They can't find welders. They can't find people that can just do things that are skilled. You start to say, but there's a lot of people that are not involved. Let's get them educated. Let's get them ready to go. That's why going back to what I said about being on the school board, I thought the biggest, the biggest gap we had was not preparing our kids for the real world. And I would sit down with guidance counselors. You know what they tell me every year? We got a couple kids going to Harvard. We got some guys going to Penn. We got some. I said, well, hell, we're graduating 900. You just told me about 40. Where are the rest of them going? Um, they're going to have to find a place. I said, well, really? Well, we better find a place soon. Because there's nothing worse than graduating and find out you can't get hired because you want to get angry at the, at the people that supposedly were educating you it were supposed to get you ready for life and they didn't and you got a big problem but I, I love the idea of what John's talking about and I think we all we all have these wonderful hearts but we don't have 
full wallets all the time. So I, we want to get it fixed, but we have to find out how we can do it where it doesn't put that burden to the point where it no longer is possible for us to look forward and say it is sustainable. I think there's things we can do, but there's a lot of different issues out there. So uh, I wish we had the magic wand. People tell me all the time, you guys need to get this fixed. And I tell people, how, how would you fix it? They say, well, how would I fix it? Well, that's not my problem, that's your problem. I said, well, let's make it our problem, and then we can actually get to it. But understanding where we're going is the biggest part. I, I just think that it's much bigger than, than what we're realizing right now, and a lot of it has to do uh, of longer lifespan. How do we fund it? And where is it that it doesn't become intrusive? I, do, I know one thing. When you're an employer, uh, the most important thing for your sustainability is having a profitable year. Uh, regardless of whether you're profitable or not, you still pay wage taxes. And anybody that thinks, don't take this the wrong way, John. It's, it's, it's easy to write it off. It's just hard to make it. I don't need any more write-offs. I'm fine with my write-offs. I need more revenue coming in. I need to have more black months than red months. And I need to be able to make that payroll twice a month and knowing that there's your checks that can be cashed. And I'll tell you, for most of you, all of you in the private sector, you know this to be true. Of the 125 people, that just out of the dealership we have in Butler, it was always, in times that were the toughest, one guy that didn't get paid. Me. Me. Because the last thing we would ever do is let our, our associates go without a pay. And this is what John's talking about. What do we not want to do? We never want to let our fellow Americans who've paid into this program their whole life so you know what, we just can't make that payment to you this month. So there's a lot of there's a lot of wonderful opportunities out there. Developing the talent that we have right now in, 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 our, in our population, getting those people ready for work, they have to get into the workforce in order to help fund all these wonderful programs. Well, as one of the only people here probably that both uh, is on Social Security and plan on living to 2032, John, I hope you find 218 with the courage to step up. <laughs> well, we started with 204 original co-sponsors. I think we're going to get there. Good. Uh, switching gears to the SECURE Act, what's the timing and what's going on in the Senate on that? Well, listen, I mean, uh, I hope that Mr. Kelly can use his incredible influence and dynamic personality <laughs> to bring to bear on Mr. McConnell to take it up because I think, you know, to get the, to have and again, he's not giving himself enough credit here. Uh, along with Ronnie Kine, this isn't something that they just worked on overnight. Uh, and I think as everybody also knows in this room, you know, closing the gaps that exist are vitally important, you know, for so many people, for pension security as well. So let us hope uh, that they're able to take it up in the, in the Senate. My guess is, that they will, and I don't think we're through yet in the Ways and Means Committee either in terms of uh, other initiatives that we can because we have to strengthen every leg on the stool. Uh, I talk about Social Security a lot because that is so important to so many of our citizens on so many levels, even beyond retirement. It's the greatest anti-poverty and it's the greatest uh, uh, economic uh, program that we have for our citizens. Uh, I don't know if you want to add to that. Yeah, well, no, I, no, no, that's a great question, Bart, because I thought we had it done last year. I want to be very honest okay. with you about that. No, I'm serious, because we were told, we being in the House and, uh, and talking with Chairman 
Chairman, talking to Chairman Brady about this. Uh, and by the way, if, if Kevin Brady can't be the chairman of Ways and Means, we are we fortunate and blessed to have a guy like Richie Neal there. Absolutely. He is one incredible chairman and one incredible person. But one of the things we did was right after the election, because I'm kind of looking ahead uh, about what the, what the future is going to look like. So the first thing we did, and uh, I talked to Lori about it, and Matt Stroya, my chief, I said, let's, let's get a hold of Mr. Neal and sit down and have breakfast, because I got a feeling that uh, he's probably going to be the next chairman. And I wanted to meet with him to see where we were on what we were still calling the Retirement Enhancement Savings Act, where that could go. Here's what I was told. If we could get by this huge hurdle, I think it's 26 or 27 newspapers that were facing a pension crisis, that the Senate would be interested in, in also including the Retirement Enhancement Savings Act. But, you know, in my businesses, we never count a car sold. We sold more cars on a Saturday afternoon, and the person's supposed to pick it up Monday morning, and they don't show up at that 10 o'clock appointment, so you call them and say, listen, we got your car ready to go. We agreed on the price and everything. You're supposed to be here at 10 o'clock. and say, geez, you know what? I feel funny about this, but on the way home, I stopped at another dealer, and I'm driving a Ford right now. <laughs> so it doesn't count what you sell, it's what you deliver. So this, this whole issue, whether, whether it's retirement enhancement or whether it's the SECURE Act, I think it's ready right now to go. But there's always that little hurdle that you face with that 100 strong over in the Senate. I mean, John, John and I can work our tails off, but I'll tell you what, the partner on a lot of this, that what I do, is Ron Kind. Again, John, Ronnie, I, we get along so well. Even Earl, I mean, he rides a bike, I don't, but Earl, <laughs> Earl and I get along really well when it comes to, to uh, doing private uh, bonds, you know, and private uh, and, and uh, public bonds to get some of this, uh, some of the infrastructure done. So can we get it done? We have to get it done, and there's such an overwhelming agreement that we should do it. I know Mr. Neal is on board with it, John is on board with it, and I think that right now we're just seeing that, how that final piece works, but I think we're very close to seeing that come to fruition. Thanks. 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 Thanks.